fait j'ai voulu te, te téléphoner Pour te, te demander Allo quelque chose quoi Okay, well, thank you to Zap Mama for Allo, Allo, and Allo to all of you listening out there, whether on the radio or streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. This is Arts Week, and I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. The Provincetown Theatre opened its 60th anniversary season with the Cape Cod premiere of Casa Valentina, the latest Broadway play written by the Tony Award-winning icon of Kinky Boots, La Cage Folle, and Torch Song Trilogy. Inspired by the true story of a mid-century sanctuary in the Catskills where heterosexual men dressed as women, Casa Valentina reveals the crossroads of gender presentation, sexual identity, and the significance of community via a disparate group of people whose lives are forever changed upon a visit to the Secret Lodge in the summer of 1962. It performs from May 11th through the 28th, so you've still got time to see it, but not much, so go now. You can find out more and get times and tickets at provincetowntheater.org. That's theater with an E-R dot org. The the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum is open for the season, and you can take a dive into the recent past with the newest exhibit, An Anecdotal LGBTQ Plus History of the Last Century of Provincetown, curated by the Generations Project. And visitors, of course, can continue to explore the true narrative surrounding the complex relationship between the Mayflower Pilgrims and the region's original inhabitants, the Wampanoag tribe, with the Our Story exhibit. Find out more about all of this at pilgrim-monument.org. I'm very sad to share the news that after 16 years of inspiring audiences and leading the Cape Symphony to new heights, artistic director and conductor Jung Ho Pak has announced that he will be stepping down from his position at the end of the summer. Under Pak's leadership, the Cape Symphony has become one of the most respected orchestras in the region, presenting an innovative and engaging repertoire that has earned praise from audiences and critics alike. He's also been instrumental in building the orchestra's education programs, introducing thousands of young people to the joys of classical music. It has been a great honor to serve as artistic director and conductor of the Cape Symphony, said Pack. I am incredibly proud of what we have accomplished together, and I am confident that the orchestra will continue to thrive under new leadership. You can still experience his conducting, however. The next program in July is a Star Wars extravaganza. I'll tell you more about that next time, or you can look it up at capesymphony.org. The Provincetown Art House has returned. Performers from Audrey McDonald to Jujubee to Marilyn May. You can find out about all of them throughout the summer at provincetownarthouse.com. And there's still time to see Robin Hood at the Academy of Performing Arts Playhouse. It's an offbeat, funny version of the legend, which was written by local playwright, artist, and actor Mark Roderick. And you can find out more about that, get times and tickets at academyplayhouse.org. Starting next week at the Schoolhouse Gallery downstairs from us here at WMR Studios, you can see a fabulous photography exhibit. It's called Artists in Residence, Downtown New York in the 1970s. The opening reception is from 6 to 8 p.m. on June the 2nd, and you can find out more and get a sneak peek at galleryschoolhouse.com. Auditions for a musical review, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, will be held at the Chatham Drama Guild 
on Monday, May 29th at 4.30 p.m. and Tuesday, May 30th at 6.30 p.m. And you can go to Chatham Drama Guild's website to find out more. All right, well, I'm very excited about the new season that's starting at the Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater. And I'm delighted to have Chris Ostrom, who's the artistic director. And you often are producer and director and other things, too. But <laughs> artistic directors is the, is the title. And also Sherry Eden-Barber, who is the director of the um, current production, which we're about to talk about. We're about to talk about, that sounded good. Um, welcome back to Arts Week. Good morning, thank you. It's delightful to have you folks here. Um, so, let's talk about the play. What, it, what is it we're doing and why are we doing this play now? Well, uh, the play is called Jesus Hopped the A-Train. It's by an incredible playwright named Stephen Adley Geerges, um, who's probably one of the most prolific playwrights uh, being produced in America these days. He somehow has tapped into the American consciousness in a way that few other playwrights do in this moment. And he's not afraid to tackle serious subjects, but in a way that makes them very humane and very approachable. And even like, I think even his most unlikable characters, there's something identifiable in each and every one of them. I think, um, you know, when uh, Chris approached me about directing this play, it was a, a no brainer, quick yes. Because Stevens plays, he writes, for the, uh, the moment uh, that he grew up in. And he writes for the people that surround him in his community. And he allows us to see them from a perspective that really, if he hadn't written about, if he hadn't explored it, if he hadn't put them forward, we wouldn't consider all of the complexities um, that evolve and that are around them and that have gotten them to where they are. And you know, this play, it takes place in about 1999. And when I was first introduced to this play, it was uh, 2006. And I remember even at that time, it felt shockingly present. And picking up again right now in, in 2023, it feels, we know the dates, we know that it's dated, mm -hmm. because we mentioned certain things that happened in 1999. But other than that, it feels so universal to the moment that we're in, and we're still in the middle of these conversations, and things have not changed. And that's when I knew I had to get my hands on it and explore why we're continuing to live in these cycles and what the humanity is underneath all these cycles in the hope that we see them uh, from a perspective that is incredibly necessary for us to move forward. So the, the play starts or takes place entirely at Rikers Island, is that correct? For the most part, yeah. Most, yeah, yeah. A few other, other scenes related to the criminal justice system, but mostly in Rikers. Which makes it, of course, very, very, as you say, relevant yeah. to, to now. Do you want to talk a little bit about the plot without giving too much away, but enough so that people can, can visualize a little bit what's going on here? Well, it's the story of a young man who commits a crime. And is thrown, Angel Cruz. Angel Cruz. Angel Cruz. And he's thrown into a criminal justice system, which... Justice is, is, is completely a misnomer for what happens in this situation. And during his incarceration, he meets an incredibly charismatic serial killer who has found God and has turned, turned a spiritual corner in his life. And their chance meeting one day really sets Angel on a different path forward. And it, allow, it gives him permission to examine his youth and examine his childhood and to think about the choices that he made either out of necessity or out of ignorance throughout his life and how that brought him to this moment. 
But I think it also talks about how everybody in the criminal justice system, the, the prison guards, the attorneys, the, the public defenders, they're all being failed by this system. And every single one of these characters, they're neither good nor bad. They're, 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 they live in this beautiful gray area in between. And we really see how damaged these individuals are and how all they're, they're just asking to be seen. Every, I think every single one of these characters just wants to be seen. And I think what is tremendous is the amount of faith, whether they believe in God or are searching for something else in terms of the spirituality, that there's a faith or a belief or a conviction that helps them survive as individuals. And when you're trapped and you're stuck and you're being told that you need to uh, march in line with whatever that is, whether that's being a public defender, whether that's being an inmate, whether that's being a correctional office officer, there's this underlying faith that happens that allows individuals to make choices that we may not see, we may not notice, but we're able to uncover. So there's this light coming through the darkness of survival and agency and beauty where it makes us want to look twice and understand that not all circumstances are black and white and that this is a very black and white system that we're in that puts people either in good or bad. And that's just not how life works. And that's not where we are. And we have even right now, you know, I've lived in New York for 20 years. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of inmates that are sitting in Rikers, one of the most violent, dangerous, despicable places, inhumane places. We've seen the photos. We've seen the studies that have not even been convicted yet. Right. You had a young man. You know, we talk about Khalif Brother who was held without trial for stealing a backpack, held in solitary confinement for seven hundred days for stealing a backpack a young boy and so the play also focuses on the uh, origin story of all of these individuals and we have purposely cast them younger because i truly believe that we are not examining the when this starts the why this starts this how this and the insatiable need to survive it and find those moments of light in this darkness to withstand the inhumanities that are happening around you yeah, in particular, I think it's important to really emphasize the youth of a lot of these people and the fact that, as you say, the justice, quote-unquote, system um, doesn't allow for the fact that these are people whose brains haven't fully developed yet. These are people who don't have the resources that adults have, um, and 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 yet their path then is is sort of prescribed for them, which is a good metaphor, as you say, for everything that... We live in a gray world. We don't live in a black and white world, yet there are so many people who are asserting that it is black and white, particularly in our political system. And yeah. I think in class plays a massive role. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, you examine uh, Angel Cruz and Mary Jane. So you have the inmate who's uh, accused of an act that seemingly by the end you start to understand why it was justifiable and what was happening. And you're really left with this com you know, complexity. And um, the public defender, who very similar neighborhoods, very similar uh, uh, backgrounds, but opportunity, right? One just happened to be able to have a very high level of intelligence that allowed her to take a scholarship path, that allowed her to go one way while the other needed to go the, the way that they knew, right? Mm -hmm. So I think opportunity and agency both doing the same thing, both fighting for the same things, but again, what your opportunities are and where you're allowed to achieve or where you, you start to achieve really 
affects honestly who ends up in our system and who ends up kind of circling around it or not inside of it. Like the difference is massively, I think, race and class and it's seen right on the page and gender, um, why some of us end up in uh, jail and why some of us are able to walk away from it. I'd also like you to talk a little bit about the role of faith slash religion, and I'm not sure, you know, which which way is, is the best way to, to approach that in this play, but you've got this person, um, the, the sort of, as you said, genial <laughs> serial killer <laughs> who's, who's found Jesus and, um, and has changed his life, um, and you've got this kid who comes in who had some sort of altercation with religious, a religious figure. Um, so how, how does, how does it come out sort of at the end in terms of this faith journey for both of these men? Well, that is an excellent, excellent question. Um, the thing I find interesting in this play is that there is this spirituality that is examined and it becomes very situational and at times very performative and it takes the full two hours of the play for these two characters to come to an understanding of what religion is for them. You know, I think in some ways, Lucius's, his religion is very performative. It is something that he has adopted as, as, as a survivor and a survival technique. It's his persona. It's his persona. Really? He, yeah. he, has, he has cloaked himself in the cloak of religion. And I think it takes a very long time for Angel to come to a realization that there are multiple spiritual paths. Mm -hmm. And maybe this one that seems to be working for Lucius is not his path, but there is a spiritual path that he's on. And I often, something we talk about a lot is, and it's, you know, I'm going to bring myself to every production I uh, direct and also know when it's time to remove myself and examine what's there in front of it. Because I do think that dissent and those kind of complexities and the polarities between grace and violence um, are fascinating and worth examining. And having said that, I think the main piece uh, really, uh, at the center of it is religion as a tool mm -hmm. and not a weapon. Interesting, yeah. And religion takes many forms. Faith takes many forms. So I often talk about the spirituality and the faith and when we lean into it because of habit, when we lean into it because there's nothing else. Um, when it is something that convinces us versus when it is something that saves us. And I will say the acting is phenomenal. And it has been the real treat in coming in here is that this is Chris and I's first time working together. And I feel very fortunate that he is both the scenic designer and the lighting designer because we are in that room constantly and consistently really trying to examine how the architecture and where they're able to be in space can really highlight the visceral component of what's going on. So in terms of religion, something we also talked about in the room is, if you're familiar with Diane Arbus, the photographs that she would take, had she not taken them, we wouldn't have leaned in and seen those people. Right. right. And so how do you show religion? How do you show spirituality? And the actors are able to really discover and work through and fight with such a conviction that you are convinced for moments and you're questioning your own and you're trying to believe that this will maybe take us forward and I think that's part of what faith is and so it actually happens to the audience while they're listening to these multiple sides of an argument like not it's just very organic the writing is so delicious and the way that it seems through that you 
one minute you think that you're feeling and agreeing and having this emotional empathy and the next you're twisted on the other side. So you're walking away really with more questions and answers in a stunning, beautiful way that at least lets you sit with, okay, well, how do I move forward? What What is next? Rather than this has been the finite decision that I have had, what is next? What am I seeing now? And I think... I just think that that is a phenomenal, that that marks a phenomenal piece of theater. It shouldn't answer everything. It should allow us to see things from a perspective that we hadn't considered and leave us actually with more questions and conversation afterwards. I think that's actually, that's that's my sort of rule for for great theater, great novels, even great music is if it makes you ask questions Mm -hmm. and if it keeps you thinking about it afterwards. And this sounds like that's going to be one of them. so the Guardian, I, I've, I haven't yet seen the play. I will be, um, but I've read a few reviews of not your production, obviously. Um, and the Guardian talks about um, at the end, it feels to this reviewer like um, the ending isn't quite living up to the rest of the play. It feels more like this. There's apparently, and I don't want to give anything away here, but a sacrificial gesture, which the Guardian has talked about being sort of something out of romantic fiction instead of being consistent with the rest of the play. And I wonder what you would say to that. Well, I think that you it, don't I think agree, but... <laughs> well, I think it's hard to comment on that only because we don't know the production that The Guardian was referencing right. and the choices that were made, the acting choices, okay. the design choices, the directorial choices that were made. I think in our production and in the writing, I don't think that that moment of sacrifice feels artificial. Excellent. I I find it to be a very genuine, faith is complex, Mm -hmm. morality is complex, Mm -hmm. and it's situational. And I think all of these characters are survivors, and they've survived through trauma, they're in survival mode, and they are making the choices that are right for them at that time. And I think it's easy to look at I, – I, I could see an interpretation of that moment that says, oh, that's, that's a trite plot device just to end the play. But I, I, I would strongly disagree that that, with, that, with that opinion. And I actually – I wouldn't even refer to it as sacrifice. I think okay. – you know, I really think there's something about agency and that takes a multitude mm. of, of, uh, of forms. Mm-hmm. And I – you know – Without saying much more, like I, I, I turn us to the crucible and what it is to refuse to sign a name on something I didn't do and take whatever those repercussions are because my dignity, my agency, even in that final moment, is more important because that is my faith. I want to take a step back and tell people about how and where and when they can see this. Yes, so, so uh, Jesus Hopped the A-Train is playing at Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater now through June 17th. We have our second preview performance tonight at 7.30, and then uh, we open officially on Friday night, and um, tickets are available at what.org, where you can give us a ring at 508-349-9428. And could we have like a three-minute maybe preview of the rest of the summer? I know you'll be back in to talk to both Candace and myself. Oh, but, sure. But let's just you know give people a little, a little snapshot of what's ahead. So right after this, we have a piece called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged. Uh, this is three actors who perform all 37 of Shakespeare's plays in just about 100 minutes. Um, so it's a madcap mashup 
of all 37 Shakespeare plays, the comedies, the tragedies, the histories, and the weird ones that nobody ever read in school. And um, it's it's great fun. I mean, it takes incredibly skilled comedians to pull this off. And I think we have an outstanding cast. And uh, it's going to be a fun evening. I, I think the Today Show summed it up best when they said, if you love Shakespeare, you'll like this play. If you hate Shakespeare, you will love this play. <laughs> I love it. So for fans and foes of Shakespeare, I think this is a, a great night That's for you. That's the way you. to go, yes. So that runs through the end of July. And then in August, uh, local playwright Kevin Rice, who I think everybody knows as the artistic director at Pamet, mm-hmm. uh, we are doing the world premiere of his newest play, The Pickleball Wars. Um, we like to say why this play right now, and I think anybody who attended this, Provincetown yeah, Town Meeting we know. certainly knows. <laughs> um, and it's the fictional story, fictional story, of a retiree to the Cape, who um, can't get to work on his novel because his neighbors are incessantly playing the latest fitness fad. But there is a twist. And uh, pickleball, is it a fun fitness fad or is something more sinister at play? Uh, So you have to check that out in August. But I think one of the things I'm most excited about this season, and it's something we've been talking about for three years now, is our production of Harold Pinter's Betrayal. Yes. And this was originally slated to be part of our 2020 season, which I remember which well. yes. we, we all lost. And then uh, it was on our calendar for last year. And we ran into a little casting snafu at the last minute and felt it was best to regroup and move it uh, to this season. And during that time, something really wonderful happened. And we were talking with our friends down at Harbor Stage, and they expressed how much they loved this play and how they always dreamed of doing it. And I said, this is the opportunity for us to work together. And I think, you know, in many ways, the two companies are are cousins, distant cousins. And um, I could not be more excited to be collaborating with the incredible artists of Harbor Stage. I think they're one of the finest performing ensembles in this country these days. Um, Bob Croft, their artistic director, will be directing on our stage. And uh, I think it's a beautiful kind of celebration of the spirit of collaboration here on the Outer Cape. Sounds like a great lineup. I'm going to ask you what I always ask you. You're probably used to this question by now. But how did you make the decision to group this particular season together? Oh, I always ask you this, Chris. <laughs> I know I, I have to come up with a better answer because you know, I, I feel like I approach the season with this formula in place of like, you know, let's honor the, the heritage of what for contemporary theater, um, you know, contemporary voices, adventurous programming, and let's balance that with something that just theater for everyone because theater should be accessible to everyone. And so I think we go in with all these kind of uh, with this 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 strong template. And then kind of throw it out the window at certain points. Um, there, four, there are four plays I think really that really spoke to me. Again, in this moment, there was a timeliness to all of these plays. Um, you know, certainly as Sherry pointed out, that this story could be happening. It probably is happening probably is right now happening, yeah. in this country. Um, yeah, it's a hard question. It's hmm, a hard sorry. question. Um, you know, there's certainly there are things that. Uh, I think here's how I would sum it up best. I think sometimes as a theater maker, you read something and it stays with you in such a way that the only way you can forget about it is to actually do it. And that's, that's I mean, this is a play I've known, A-Train is a play I've known for 20 years. It has haunted me for 20 years. And I don't think 20 years ago I would have had the maturity to approach this material. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt so right for this moment, so right for this season 
And Geargis is having such a great moment right now. Tony nominated uh, for Between Riverside and Crazy. Um, all the signs pointed to say we must tell this story in this moment. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I Not too, too long ago, I had author um, Margot Nash on the show, and she's written a book about um, a miscarriage of justice. It was in Boston. It was um, a 15-year-old who got convicted of murder, um, who she, she was one of the attorneys working on the case. Um, you know, the Innocence Project is now investigating it, but in the meantime, this 15-year-old is now 32 and has spent more time in prison than, um, than he didn't. And, you know, the anger that you feel when you see these particular cases, I think, um, gets blunted because there are so many of them. Oh, yeah, it's another miscarriage of justice. Like, that's nothing. Um, and, you know, I think, I think you're right in saying that we have to keep, as artists, we have to keep holding these things up to people. Um, because not too many other people are speaking. And, you know, we read, we read articles, but the problem is that the people who respond to them are the people who care anyway. And the people who don't care aren't going to even read it. So doing it sort of this way in terms of telling a story, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, if you can tell the stories for a society, it doesn't matter who makes the laws. And I hold that close because it, it's the only thing that gives me hope, to be honest. Um, but what kind of hope do you see emerging out of, out of Jesus Hop the A-Train? I think it's a reminder to all of us that we have agency in our lives, that we make choices and we make decisions. And there will be consequences to all of those decisions. Um, and ultimately, we will be held accountable to those, but that we should we should always be ready to make those choices. That that does represent hope, yeah. I also, you know, I was listening to your, to you talk about the season and why the season and why putting it together. And something I've always been, this is my first time directing here, but I've been up here often and I've been able, I'm gonna say about three years of shows, probably. And something that I'm struck by and why it was a delightful and easy yes is because of the community that's creating the work. And I think, the process, how we make anything, is indicative of how it will be presented and how it will be received. I don't believe that the performance is the most important thing. Yes, that's the thing where we bring the audience in and, and we feel it as a collective. But I also think the process and the mm -hmm. why and the reflection is just as important, if not more, to get an authentic final uh, piece. The way the community takes care of each other here, both in the theater and I've observed in Provincetown, is, is incredibly hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see this play, you see people doing actions because systems failed them, or they reached out and they needed help, and no one was there to help, and they tried again, or they weren't, the help wasn't available to them. Or again, because of where they fell, no one was interested in helping. So the hope here is that not only do we see the peace, but we understand that it begins with, I think, community reflection, and looking at our neighbors and seeing how we can participate in taking care of each other so we can take care of whatever is next, right? So I always say we have to take care of each other to take care of the work. And sometimes that means hard conversation and sometimes that, what a sacrifice looks like, but I really think there is a, a world where abundance does exist and we're not living in scarcity and we have to figure out a way to kind of rise, we all rise up together rather than very few. So I think the hopefulness is 
people made choices, some other people in this, because they truly believed that things are gray and people needed other support or other things. And what does that look like? So that's where I think, you know, that's where I really think uh, the season feels representative of the whole. Well, we can certainly use a lot of hope. Indeed. Sherry Barber and Christopher Ostrom, thank you so much for being my guests on Arts Week. Thank you. And I want to urge everybody to get your tickets right now for Jesus Hop the A Train at Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater. You can do it at what.org, W-H-A-T.org. And that's it for me. This is Jeanette de Beauvoir. This has been Arts Week. We'll see you here next time. Choose quoi?